Today, join us as we investigate the earliest days of comic book fandom with a trip down Marvel Mania. Yes, Marvel Mania was a comic book uh, fanzine produced in conjunction with Marvel. We're going to take a look at what fandom in 1970, the early days of what would later become magazines like Comics Interview, Comics Journal, Wizard Magazine. So check that out. Which writer tells you all about his inspirations from books, from movies, from newspaper articles? Also, we are going to wrap up our look at Marvel's Mightiest Mutants. The second part of our look at Fall of X. Rob recommends returns. What a day. What an episode on an all-new edition of Observations. Welcome to Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. On Observations, we discuss all things comic books, superheroes, Marvel, DC, the way that comic books have absolutely blown up across the 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 entirety of society as we know it and and have come to dominate pop culture. I have been making comics for 38 years now. I have been pulling comic books off the spinner rack, enjoying them, consuming them since I was seven years old. And and we just talk all things comics and superheroes on this show. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. As always, we were in the middle of a discussion about the latest direction that the X-Men line of comics is going in and what that bodes for the future. And we're going to stay the course. We're going to stay the course and and finish that up today. And, and and wrap up kind of the entire fall of X, I- interpreting what I see as a fan and, and what I'm hopeful to see down the future, because that's all I can do is is hope and, and guess along with all of you. I, I should absolutely make it clear, as I as I thought was was clear in the first episode, I have no inside juice. I have no uh insider knowledge as to what's to come. I am going on the X-Men and everything that is going on in these books based on the same information that you guys are seeing, the the ads and the teases that came out around Comic-Con, and then the events of the actual uh, Fall of X kickoff, which happened in a book uh, that, that that is this Hellfire Gala, which we will discuss again later on towards the end of the show when we wrap up that entire segment. We got a lot to cover today. And 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 many topics that we are going going to jam into this this episode. So so we got to hit it off and get going right away. The very first thing that I want to uh, just ask you as the audience, as as even a casual, maybe you're a casual comic book uh, purchaser. Maybe maybe you don't even go go into the stores anymore. Maybe you're just buying them direct on Comixology and getting them on downloads and putting them on your iPhone or your iPad and 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 maybe you're just going to your comic store every every you know month or 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 once a season to pick up your polls. I'm not sure. You know, I know from my stores that I talk to that the regular customer uh has become a a a uh, a thing of the past. The Wednesday warrior is in an all-time low according to comic stores, but I've done dedicated episodes telling you to support your comic stores that you if you want that clubhouse you should show up and keep that clubhouse going because that clubhouse needs you to purchase items from it but this isn't about comic stores this is actually about the people who make comic books it is about storytelling and celebrating the storytellers and in the last several years more so in the last five six years 
there has become a lane. And here, here's the deal. I get to dance on both sides of this because I'm in both both of these lanes. But one is is decidedly a different lane. And, and that lane is just strictly providing, producing, and becoming a cover artist, making covers. And and there is an entire, again, lane of people. My own peers are peeling off into this lane uh, with great regularity. And I, you can see all the reasons why. It's so much more enticing just to do a single cover image that you can dine out on, that you can perhaps even buy your own cover, get, get your own specialty, uh, you know, exclusive variant that you can show up at a show with, show up at a, at a comic store with. I mean, again, good Lord, I, I do this all the time. I am a part of this practice. I am a part of this. But so many of them have done covers now and are not uh, participating or creating the storytelling that is between the covers that 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 were, were, what the staple is what the two staples is meant to hold together in the first place or the glue on the on the spine if it's a if it's a uh, what they call perfect bound a perfect bound book but most comics again that you're grabbing have the staples and it's the stuff in between the staples that moves us that elevates us and here's the deal the storytellers are why I am in comics and why I'm even doing this podcast. When I turn to someone who has moved me as much as as a as a Frank Miller has moved me, and I am able to say, you know, thank you. Thank you for stirring my emotions with Daredevil. Thank you for making me uncomfortable. I cried when Elektra died. I cried in the back of the car. I've covered that here. It's it's uh, one of my first probably four or five episodes if you go back into into the library of the observations, and I cover how at at you know in in uh, I, I was thirteen and fourteen years old, and I had I loved some of these characters. And if you didn't know that Electra initially died, I guess I've just committed kind of a giant blow it. But at this point, it's kind of um, and it wasn't the similar time frame of, of Vader revealing himself to be Luke's father. So I I feel like forty years, uh, forty plus years. Is is pretty good on spoilers, so forgive me if 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 I've uh, spoiled the Electra saga for you right here on the outset of this episode. But it is it is those stories. It is when it is when Bruce Wayne told Clark to to don't threaten him again because he's going to regret it. And you're like, wait, what is Batman doing threatening Clark? And then the response from Clark, like, you've got to be kidding, or you can't be serious. And we would see how that plays out. That's that is stuff that happens between the staples storytelling is is the backbone of this comic book industry it is and, and the people who do it and 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 really when I, so I'm, I'm talking covers and then i'm talking about storytellers so yes god bless you artists I, I god bless you writers um i don't take you for granted but as a writer who at one point was writing four comics a month for dc comics you're going oh, what one was that life i'll tell you when that is that that, that is in 2011 i was writing hawk and dove I was writing Deathstroke. I was writing Grifter. I was writing Hawkman. I wrote each one of those books. I, I I wrote the plots for myself and then for the different artists who were who were working under me. I did those all inside of a week. The plots, the storytelling, telling them, hey, they're going to go down these steps into this dark labyrinth, and then they are going to you know be attacked by the followers, the disciples of this false god. Okay. And 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 then getting down to the actual choreography, and Dove is going to take on these two, while Hawk grabs a sword and tears through, you know, these four guys, and then passes the sword over to Dove, 
who then continues and they and they you know get further down the corridor, turn the page, okay, and a new page. Writing comics is a talent, it's a skill, and uh, and 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 it takes effort. It just does not take the same effort as starting with a blank page and and starting top left and finishing top right. Now that you may be right, you may be drawing that on an iPad on a Cintiq or you're on paper as I am. Whatever it is, it still takes the same amount of time and dedication to tell the stories, to tell those stories. And I just I'm just really, you know, wanting to give a special shout out to the storytellers. It's it's time consuming. And ironically, th- th- there are there are people who live in, in in both worlds. There are absolutely people who need to tell who need to tell you those stories, who need to draw comics and 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 make a living f- uh, f- from from drawing those comics. Then, and I, I mentioned this on one of my live streams recently, Eric Larson, uh, former image founder, uh, we, 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 summer 1992, founded Image Comics together along with, you know, several other talented individuals, rock the world. He is currently and has maintained and is, a, is, a, is an original uh, partner. Eric does very well for himself. Eric, during the San Diego Comic-Con, he was not at San Diego Comic-Con, but I was back in my hotel, you know, scrolling, checking checking out Twitter, checking out Facebook, and I saw Eric allude to the fact that he was working with one of his former publishers again. He says, I, I'm, I'm excited to share that I'm going to be doing something. Uh, and it, it, the illusion, he was alluding to the fact that, that he was doing something uh, something brief or something small with a former publisher of his. And then people were guessing, is it Marvel? Is it DC? Who it is? And then one guy said, we get it, Eric. We get it. You got to go and get paid. We, you got bills to pay. You know, we understand. And Eric uh, responded because the implication was, uh, you know, like, well, we get it. We get it that you're going to go back and work with a, another publisher outside of publishing your own savage dragon because man you got to make some real cash you got to make and eric said you like please understand i don't need to do this for a living i don't need to draw comics ever again uh i am set up i i am i am a partner of the third largest comic book company and i don't need to do this uh to make a living so so like he wanted to clarify like don't like he did not want to be put in look eric has also if i've been doing this 38 years Eric is 40 years, 42, you know, add definitely uh, years ahead uh, of me in terms of doing comic books. And what he was trying to tell you is, and I've talked to you guys about it on this show before, but what Eric was trying to say is like, we do this because we are obsessed because we love it. I don't know. um, I don't know that there's a lot of guys from my peer group who are still making comics at all. Um, I, 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 uh, that they're getting fewer and far between, but they, the guys who are doing it are doing it because they love it. And because what I, I call it the fever, I call it the disease that my, 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 uh, I have to lay, like I inform my kids, my family, uh, every week of, of what I'm going to be doing on any given day and, and the pressures I'm under and the pages that I have to tackle and the ones that are harder this last week. And I put down a page that was really difficult and I, was so relieved and it was on a Saturday. It was like, I'm waking up at the crack of dawn to get to this and all total, uh, two of the panels had 10 characters on it. 
combined five and five and then a, a number of different close-ups and I, i'm super proud of the page i love it it came out exactly as I, I intended but it needed that you know equity uh you know me me putting that sweat equity at the board top left to top right and making it all come together and trust me a cover image is oftentimes much simpler to 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 put forth Look, I, I've already done 30 covers in the in the year of 2023. And Lord knows I, I, I did about 50, maybe 60 in, in 2021 for Deadpool's 30th anniversary. I did 30 covers for Marvel Comics on top of all the other different cover assignments that I was doing. Covers are great fun. They're single images. You can see why people rally to them. But it is not the same uh, skill set or time commitment as as uh, as doing interiors. now. For those of you who are like, life, I'm painting mine. I'm doing acrylics, oil paints. Got it. Understand. Understand that your commitment to that single image is the full, you know, layout, the, the sketch layout, pencils, and then paints. I get it. It is. It is time consuming. I'm, no one's saying it's not time consuming. But without the stories in between, there's, there's, there's no covers. And I am not of the opinion that people are, are just going to buy covers with nothing in between the pages. I, I refuse to subscribe to that notion that I've heard people talk about before. But anyway, wrapping up what Eric Larson is saying, you know, he's telling you, because Eric doesn't want to just be a cover cover artist. Eric wants to tell you stories. Frank Miller wants to tell you stories. I want to tell you stories. I'm going to tell you a great guy that I was so fortunate to bump into at Comic-Con. None other than the legendary Dan Jurgens, who honestly, I don't talk enough about during the show. I have, I have mentioned him often. Um, my respect for him is as, as enormous as I could give anyone uh, in the comic book business in, in, in this modern age of the last 40 years. And, 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 and I discovered Dan as a fan. Dan was, was drawing a book called Warlord. He, he later did uh, comics called Sun Devils, uh, miniseries, maxi series, and then Booster Gold. And maybe it was Booster Gold, then Sun Devils. It doesn't matter. He's done giant crossovers for DC Comics, and he is most uh, you know obviously famous for having authored written, illustrated The Death of Superman, which went on to sell umpteen million copies. I was looking through artwork at a original art dealer's table in San Diego and looked up to see uh, the esteemed Mr. Dan Jurgens. And Dan has just been the most uh, spirited, kind-hearted, you, you know if you've seen him. And just, I mean, Dan looks like he could be uh, your attorney. He looks like he could be your accountant. He has every bit the everyman uh, persona, uh, good-looking guy, you know, just, just he, he'd even be on a soap opera. I got to be honest, <laughs> Dan, Dan Jurgens could walk through General Hospital and I'm, I'm laying the seeds for, for soap operas here because we're going to get back to soap operas, especially when we get to the Hellfire Gala and, 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 and that entire wrap-up of Fall of X. But it was so good to see Dan. I, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I have a... Uh, I, 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 up, I upsized as a kid and got a bigger sketchbook. I got one of the bigger sketchbooks, like, uh, like the, whatever, the 11 by 14, not, not just bit bigger than the eight and a half by 11, the smaller sketchbooks. And I was in Chicago con in 1985 and I had Dan Jurgens do a sketch. And I remember it was kind of semi an artist choice. Uh, I, I look looking back how I didn't ask him for booster gold is beyond me, but he drew a character called Thorn. And I really like Thorn, and she's running on top of a rooftop towards us. In that same book, I have beautiful sketches 
by Mike Zeck, by Jerry Ordway. But uh, I was a fan of Dan Jurgens. I was a fan. Uh, in 1985, I'm, I'm 17 years old. I am waiting in line to be put on his sketch list, handing him my book, and he, and he knocked out of the park. So I have been a fan of Dan Jurgens for my entire, you know, in, in, from my entire encounter with him. And, and uh, Dan is just uh, such an incredible talent. But first, foremost, and good, good God, if you told me that, that Dan Jurgens has done 400, 500, 600 covers, I'd, I'd, I'd be like, of course, of course he has. He was doing covers to all the work that he was doing interiors to. And Dan is a dedicated storyteller. He tells stories. And we both discussed at that original art table, you know, how there are not many of our shared peer group that are still doing comic books, doing storytelling, being storytellers on a regular basis. Dan's peer group is, 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 is before mine. Dan is like the tail end of like after George Perez, but certainly before Art Adams and Kevin McGuire and so many of these others that, that came around in 86, 87, 85. Dan was a very early, for me, very early discovery in the 1980s and did so many uh, DC books there. In the early 2000s, pivoted over did a, a ton of Marvel stuff in the early 2000s. Marvel, not only writing, but drawing. Uh, you, you could see his work uh, in, in Thor, in, in, in uh, Captain America. Dan, you know, just, again, ridiculously accomplished, ridiculously talented, and still telling stories, still being a storyteller. And again, we were able to talk about how, and it was kind of in that, in the, under the auspices of, look, can you believe we're still telling stories? We're still drawing comics because we 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 just love it we have a passion for it i have warned i guess you would say my loved ones that i'm going to keep doing this for a really long time i love it. it there is a jolt there's an excitement when you see your own work reproduced as the comic book that you envisioned and when those voices in your head make it onto the pages in the form of lead oh i kind of like the way that okay when the voices in your head make it onto the page in the form of lead ooh I got a nice new rhyme that I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to use. Uh, look, storytelling is fun, but it's also really time consuming. And it is, um, it's like math. It's, it's mapping out that sequence of events, you know, uh, that, that, that warehouse that, that Batman is perched over as the, as the, as the truck pulls in. And then he jumps down to take on all the hoodlums and make his way deeper into the warehouse to, to find out what's really going on. And is he going to use the grappling hook? Is he going to use the bat- batarang? Is he going to is he going to shoot a gun? Is he going to get a gun off a hoodlum and shoot another gun? Is he going to kick sweep kick somebody? Uh, sweep kick their legs. And when I say sh- shoot the gun, I don't mean shoot them to kill them. But maybe he's going to take out their knees and drop them. I mean, look, Batman has different motives, different different ways that he operates. Certainly, he has been uh, depicted as much more violent in certain instance, instances and episodes than in others. But at the end of the day. That stuff takes a, it's an equation that you work out in your head. And what I'm asking you now, when you say, Life, what do you mean celebrate the storytellers? When, when, you, when, I, when I've talked about Eric Larson saying he's going to do more stories and then him, you know, rightfully pushing back on like, hey, what are you talking about? I'm like, like you are fans are putting me in a position of like, I have to go back to a publisher and hat in hand. And that's the only way I can go back. I assure you that whether it is Eric Larson, Dan Jurgens, myself, or many of the others who do this, these are bucket list items in the same way. And, 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 you know, 
God bless you. I I, I hope you uh, do not offend me bringing you up, Mr. Robert Kirkman, a, a dear and, and, and respe- respected friend, but I have known for 20 years how much he loves the Transformers. I know how much he loves Transformers and G.I. Joe. It is not an accident that Skybound, his publishing imprint that he uh, runs through Image Comics, is now doing G.I. Joe and Transformers. He, th- th- those are bucket list items to him. And so, so at some point in our careers, it's, it's, it's great. J.J. Abrams could do anything he wanted after Lost. And he started directing, you know, episodes of Lost and that, that pilot of Lost. And he got all manner of, of offers. And it's not, it's not a, uh, an accident that he did Mission Impossible 3, one of the best in the, in the entire series. Then was handed the Star Trek, uh, you know, reigns to, 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 to relaunch that, reboot that. And I got to tell you, Star Trek 2009, the new cast, Chris Pine, uh, man, I think that original 2009 film is outstanding to this day. I, it is so ridiculously entertaining. He was then tasked with bringing Star Wars to an, a modern audience with that, with The Force Awakens. It's not an accident that they kept knocking on his door, giving him intellectual properties that he loved as a kid. I, I, I'm of a similar age. I know that J.J. Abrams grew up watching Mission Impossible reruns. I, 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 I obviously know that he was a giant he, Star Trek guy and later, you know, a Star Wars guy. And what I mean by giant, he watched them. He watched the shows. There were probably th- things that he, that, that, that he was entertained by. I was listening to a podcast with, with Rob Lowe the other day. And, 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 and he, he has a great podcast, by the way. And, and he was sharing, you know, obviously, just how much he loved the $6 million man. And at that point, I felt the macho connection because we've talked about no less than Richard Anderson, who portrayed Oscar Goldman. And I have shared it many times. And it will be on those licensed shirts when we get those out of here, out, 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 out here. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a macho show. We, we, we were a macho show. He, he, he infamously, uh, claims, speaks right into the camera as he's being interviewed for the supplemental material on the $6 million man box set. Rob Lowe went off on how great the intro to $6 million man was and, and we could rebuild him, you know? And, and he's like, is there a better intro? And you, you were like, Wow. Rob Lowe was was hooked on six million dollar man just like the kids of my age. So little 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 uh just little little sidebar. Rob Lowe, Macho Show, you know, freaking six million dollar man fan. But JJ Abrams, Rob Lowe, Rob Liefeld, we were all we were all watching that stuff. And 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 to I'm sure if someone came cause cause Rob then Rob Lowe goes on to talk about the six million dollar man movie should it actually be six million, six billion, six hundred million, whatever? And and the discussion, basically, you could tell if they offered him a part or or or, or some sort of you know segment in 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 a six million dollar man remake, he would absolutely be there in a heartbeat. Because again, bucket list speaks to the bucket list of it all. Dan Jurgens is doing this because he loves it, and he and he and he's thrilled by it, and he also has the fever. Those of us in our peer groups and again dan's peer group is different than my peer group but the one thing that unites us other than doing giant comic books that sold bajillions of comics uh, 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 in in the 90s is our passion and uh to be storytellers to 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 do those 24 pages in between the staples and 
on top of the covers. So, hey, celebrate the cover, guys. I'm one of those too. So, so I love doing covers. I do lots of covers. I've done 30 covers already in 2023. But again, the storytellers, it's a different burden. And all I'm asking is, and you say, what, what do you mean? Support the storytellers. Buy their books. That's all I'm saying. You want to take it further? You want to get a sketch? You want to buy a print? You want to get extra variants? No, I'm just saying support their books and, you know, seek them out. And if you can, you know, tell them how much you dig uh, the work they're doing. Support comes in many forms. You know, on my live streams, people would not, there was no necessity to participate, to make a transaction. But boy, having them tell me that they liked the new issue of Deadpool Batter Blood really goes a long way. And telling me specific stuff that they like. We, we're storytellers. We want your feedback because we have a lonely uh, mission ahead of us. Each and every page, it's not just one page. You know, top left, bottom right. It's 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 a lot. It's a lot of pages, and they pile up. And so, anyway, support your storytellers. Appreciate your storytellers. Uh, get behind the guys who are telling stories. It, it's it's a uh, it's a big deal, and it's why you have some of the favorite stories and some of the favorite moments that you have is because your storyteller came through for you, period, and end of story. As far as fandom goes, you know, again, I'm a fan. If, if I'm standing in line to have Dan Jurgens do a sketch in my, in my book or any artist have a, do, do a sketch in my book or get a commission or, or sign a book, I'm a fan. I am absolutely a fan. So I understand fandom. And, and we've discussed all of the different forms that fandom has taken in the comics industry since I was a kid. And there were some forms of fandom that had, that had already come and gone before I signed on. And, and, and what I mean by that is like newsletters or, or magazines celebrating Marvel's publications, Marvel's fans, DC's publications, DC's fans. I'd see them advertised in the actual comic books that I was grabbing in the, in the early 70s. Today, I wanted to share with you early, early fandom. You know, one of the things that that I did early on in this show is I cracked open and 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 it it's it's I think one of the reasons you guys have have been so supportive of this show is I take my old magazines, fanzines, magazines, comics journal, amazing heroes, comics interview magazine, and I read with you the the interviews or the uh, articles that were being you know the news that was breaking back in these magazines back in the day. And I've, you know, I've never thrown them away. I have them. They're harder to access. Some of those comics journals are near impossible. Uh, and trust me, you can, you can grab this stuff online. As I, I think so many of you are being, uh, you know, and, 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 and other shows are now realizing, wow, I can access this stuff. And this is more, you know, stuff that we can discuss and, and, and turn it into, 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 you know, turn it into content. And it's exciting to read how things you know, were being presented by the artists and the authors as they were creating them. And, and some of them were much more opinionated, like a Barry Windsor Smith, who we've shared his comics journal interview where he just kind of goes after everybody. John Byrne, very quotable comics journal interview. Uh, Todd McFarlane uh, was lit in his comics journal interview in 1996, 1997. That's good stuff. I am so happy to share that stuff with you. This, however, is really a, a much more difficult item to obtain. Again, uh, I, I would I would put this at somewhere like a eleven by fourteen, uh, eleven by. Tw- it, it, it's a larger, a magazine size, probably a little bigger than your average Sports Illustrated or Time magazine back in the day. 
but this is Marvel Mania. I have Marvel Mania Magazine, issue number five. This is a Marvel-supported, Marvel-sponsored, uh, basically a, a magazine newsletter. It, it is, guy, is it 40-plus pages? Uh, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, it is. It is 32 pages, but it is much bigger. And the reason I thought it was longer is, is the stock. It's really nice, thick, uh, thick cardstock paper uh, that they that they print this on. Marvel Mania Magazine 5. And maybe some of you are like, what's Marvel Mania? Again, it was a uh, sponsored and uh, a, a, a sister publication to what Marvel Comics, uh, you know, was doing. In the indicia, it says Marvel Marvel Mania Monthly Magazine is published by Marvel Mania International, a division of Dimensional Industries. Entire contents copyright 1970. Dimensional Industries. All characters depicted are copyrighted trademark uh, by Magazine Management Company, Inc., Marvel Comics Group, New York, 1970. The publisher is listed as Don Wallace. And this uh, went on for... for Several several issues. Again, I am holding the actual fifth issue in my hand. It has a Jack Kirby Spider-Man cover. You've seen this in probably the Kirby Collector, but I have to believe this is one of the first times um, it, it was ever published. It is a kick-ass. Uh, tons of action in this shot. Tons of power in this gesture of Spider-Man, like swinging, and, and it, they, they look like literally they look like um, they look like parademons from his New Gods work. So it's kind of a you know best of both worlds but it's a sideways sideways shot of of spider-man clobbering some some bad guys looks like a guy's on a giant walkie-talkie in the back but it's got some killer uh perspective on the buildings it's a very unique jack kirby spider-man drawing as all jack kirby spider-man drawings are but that is this penciled rendition it's not rendition it's not inked it's possibly the first time that this actually saw print prior to all the different times it would come out on on the comic collector but Marvel Mania magazine, a lot of letters pages, a lot of letters from people. But again, um, Marvel Mania, it was a the house quote unquote, house fanzine of 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 uh, of Marvel Mania, and it, it was an outfit that had been uh, they had licensed rights to produce Marvel related merchandise, and it took the place of Marvel's Merry Marvel Marching Society as the official fan club of Marvel Comics. And uh, the guy who ran it, Don Wallace, uh, you know, he was inspired. Let's just say he was inspired. He uh, followed in the footsteps of the the editorial guidance and leadership of Mark Evanier, who you've heard several times. Mark has had a really storied career in, in comic books, possibly most famously being the the in-person, in-house assistant to Jack Kirby in, when Jack moved out to Los Angeles and, and drew comics from his home. Uh, and, and and Mark was on site, but uh, but but Mark Evanier uh, started uh, what was that was the editor for the first four. Don Wallace was uh, a gentleman who was overseeing all of this. But this magazine, it's black and white, no color, black and white. It is um, charming. A uh, lot of clip art throughout. There is a ton of Gene Colan, Wally Wood, John Buscema, uh, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and and some some of these John Buscema shots. You just stop and realize how much this guy was able to master uh, the form, his Hulk, his thing. They're just, they, they, these figures are just, uh, they're just incredible. They have, a, they have a news section. They have an extended letters section, but they have a news section where they want to break uh, you know, the news of the day. 
and uh, and it says Marvel Mania Mini News. Now, again, what I'm getting at is this is a a fanzine, completely 100% wholly dedicated to Marvel Comics and its characters and what's going on at the company. And I'm going to read to you an editorial, not an editorial, editorial, a column, a column by Roy Thomas, because I thought it was really fun to share. But this is how fans were interacting with their favorite publishers prior to the comic book buyer's guide, prior to uh, Wizard breaking through, prior, prior to Hero Magazine, prior to all the websites that, that exist today. This is how, no, no smartphones, no internet, no, no chat rooms. It was these magazines that were making it into your hands. Marvel Mania. I mean, it really is just a Marvel hype machine. Uh, and they, they talk about awards. Uh, they, they talk about how to submit portfolios to, to Marvel Mania. They have the letter. Here's, here's, here's a letter from, from the editor. Uh, <clears throat> and and, and the, this is from a guy, a gentleman who passed away a few years ago. His name is Duffy Voland. And he was an inker, uh, among other things. And, and and buddies with with guys like like John Byrne, John Byrne would speak very highly of Duffy Volan. But in the uh, on page five of Marvel Mania issue five, Duffy says, "Dear editors, on the whole, I am pretty impressed with Marvel Mania magazine. I have a few suggestions for you. First, how about using a page of unused Marvel art every issue? Marvel could um, use some of the art planned for strips that never made it, like Dan Adkins Starhawk, uh, the Bill Laganti Doctor Doom story." And those Tom Palmer pages. Well, I guess I'd better uh, end end here. Duffy Voland, and it gives his address. You know, in Indiana. Uh, another another uh, editor says, "Dear editors, I was happily surprised by number four of your Marvel Mania magazine. There was a refreshing change in the attitude as far as the kitty cuteness, which didn't appear much here prior. It had been replaced with a lot of good, seriously done articles and great layouts." like the Odin mythology article. It sure is good to see the Marvel Mania magazine shaping up into a real winner. And this is from a guy named Joe Stevens. Um, I, I bought this many years ago. And when I was back outside going through all my magazines and I saw this, it's bagged, it's boarded. Again, it's a, it's a big magazine size, thick cover stock. Um, it's got biographies on people. Again, many, many pages of letters. The Marvel Mania mini news. Here's two. Uh, here's two two news breaks they want to they want to share with you in different columns. It says Spider-Man visits Marvel Mania. It was a dull afternoon. The summer heat was deadly. Since the air conditioner broke down, the flies were swarming into the office. Suddenly, an orange and blue figure literally swung through the door. Sure enough, it was Spider-Man. I'm not sure why they're saying orange, but maybe the costume looked orange. <laughs> uh, when Spidey claims he came for for a strictly for social visit, Marvel Mania boss Don Wallace calmly crawled out from under his desk to greet this extraordinary guest. What followed was a pleasant afternoon of shop talk and off-color jokes about our aunts. Ha ha. He spells aunt like your Aunt Lois or your Aunt Phyllis, but aunts got it. Uh, when Spider-Man left, all in the office turned out to wish him goodbye. Afterwards, the heat didn't seem to bother us and there were no more flies. Then it has another news break right after that. Kirby's alter ego, question mark, entering the Golden State Comic Convention held August 1 through 3. Uh, Jack Kirby directed a discussion period and was asked which of the Marvel characters he created that he most identified with. During this pause, there was a lot of um, speculation. Some thought of the 
omnipresent cigar in Jack Kirby's mouth and surmised that it was Nick Fury. Others thought of some of the past A-listers, godly characters such as Thor, Silver Surfer, Odin, and Galactus. They were all wrong. Kirby, who considers himself somewhat of an outcast, said he was most identifying with the blue-eyed, bashful Benjamin Grimm, the the ever-loving thing. Kirby <laughs> this is not a word. It says Kirby Hadley strikes one as an outcast. They, they're missing an R. There is no R here. It should say Kirby hardly strikes one as an outcast, being genuinely, being gentlemanly and philo- philosophical. Some of this typeset is really, really small. But anyway, Roy has, there's two columns that were, again, very timely. They have an entire page dedicated to a serviceman from Vietnam who gets his comic books delivered to him. So they have a letter from him and a column on him and a a picture of him standing next to a drawing of Captain America that he did. And so uh, his name is uh, Glenn Sparks and he lists what base he's at. And so it says Marvel Mania in Vietnam. And I mean, it really goes to show you how how I've talked to you guys so many times. The comic books that comfort us, they comforted me when my dad was ill. Um, they've comforted you in times of trauma in your life. Some of you have, have looked to them, you know, because uh, trust me, getting back to the X-Men, seen as rejects and outcasts, people have responded to that recent podcast and told me they they really do identify with the outcast mentality that the X-Men represented for so many people. So again, comic books have a deep connection in this soldier from Vietnam writing in in Marvel Mania magazine and showing himself standing next to Captain America. I, I hope that, uh, that, that, Glenn Sparks made it home okay and and lived or is living a, a, a great life. There is a column here, and I'm going to read it to you, in Marvel Mania Magazine number five. It is by Roy Thomas. Roy was a, uh, for all intents and purposes, the editor-in-chief running all of Marvel Comics at this time. Conan was about to launch. This is the age of Conan when Conan was going to blow up. I highly recommend you go and find my Sword and Sorcery uh, archives in, in the library. That the, the sword and sorcery era, which really was kicked off by Conan and then created a spark because of its sales success, its massive sales success. The road that led to Marvel getting the Conan license stands resistance to it. But ultimately, Roy's path that didn't really, he wasn't really intending to get Conan. He had smaller goals, smaller aspirations, but it all blew up, it exploded, and it kicked off a sword and sorcery, uh, you know, craze in the comic book industry. And, 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 and look, Roy had been writing seminal issues of the Avengers and so many of Marvel's books, but he was also, you know, because he was young and, and Stan's successor, they called him Roy the Boy. He's also been immort- immortal. He has reached immortality with Jack Kirby's depiction of him as House Roy in his, in his fourth world books, where he was a flunky to funky Flashman, who is an obvious drawn exactly like Stan Lee. Uh, if you, if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, the Kirby Fourth World books, New Gods, Miracle Man, I'm, I'm, uh, Mr. Miracle, New Gods, Mr. Miracle Man, uh, <laughs> New Gods, Mr. Miracle, Forever People, uh, th- th- these were the, the, the bedrock of this Fourth World saga, J- Jimmy Olsen. Jack and Roy had not, J- Jack did not really, really he, he, and, he and Roy did not hit it off. But that, that's the easiest way to put it. And, uh, 
but Roy had a station. Roy had a station. You might see Roy Thomas. He has emerged uh, on, on the on the circuit, convention circuit, greater uh, than he has been in the last uh, decade. Over the last four or five years, you might have seen him uh, a, 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 as writing seminal issues of the Avengers, uh, the Vision, so many different characters. Uh, he has a place in the Wolverine lore as instructing uh, the, the creative team. He wanted a character named oh, named after the Wolverine uh, to, to appear. So, so he he's inserted into so much of of Marvel's uh, lore and, and is an incredibly important figure in their publishing history. He writes this article. I'm going to read it to you. It says from Roy Thomas, Roy's Rostrum. Uh, like most of the current comic writers who are interested in their craft. However, I also like to read as much truly good fiction and nonfiction as I can, which isn't nearly enough. Jerry Conway tells me he reads a book a day. Danny O'Neill sets aside an hour or so for reading each and every day. Jerry Conway was writing Avengers, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man. Danny O'Neill was writing Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, uh, Batman with Neil, with Neil Adams. So, so th- these are big contemporaries. That Roy is mentioning. Denny O'Neill sets aside an hour or so for reading each day, no matter what. My own reading is much more sporadic and typically less organized. Still, there are a few times when I'm not at least half heartedly reading in two or more books. To paraphrase a popular ad for Scotch, last books read Conan by Howard, uh, the, the last name Howard, uh, DeCamp and Carter, third time round. Man and His Symbols by Jung and Associates, The Glass Teat by Harlan Ellison. One of my favorite little ploys, so he just listed you the stuff that he's reading by the offer. So, so when he says Conan by Howard, it's Robert E. Howard. One of my favorite little ploys, as my friends know, is to slip in quotes or, pra- or paraphrases or paraphrases of quotes from Shakespeare, Yeats, Yeats, or another of my favorites. This in itself is nothing new, of course. Stan Lee's been quoting the Bard in one way or another for years now, and other writers in the comics field have done the same, although to a lesser degree. What is perhaps just a wee bit new is that on occasion I yield to temptation to quote an entire poem. Case in point, Shelley's Ozymandias in Avengers number 57, one of the more critically acclaimed denouncements, I'm told, denouements, I'm told, and Yeats' The Sorrow of Love in an upcoming Hulk. In both cases, of course, I was able to do so because the artists John Buscema and Herb Trimby, respectively, had done such a good job of storytelling that I was left free not to narrate, but rather to embellish. A reader hates, doesn't understand poetry. He can look at the pictures, troops. Not all of my own less pedestrian ideas come from heavy literature. The sources of The Glob, one of old Greenskin's more popular foes if I read Marvel's Mail All Right, was Theodore Sturgeon's creepy crawler classic It. By way of the heap, most macabre hero of the much heralded golden age of comics, the undying ones in Doctor Strange were acknowledged borrowings, complete with a quote to that effect from H.P. Lovecraft. Many other characters and plot lines are inspired by my favorite science fiction or weird type tales. And the recent hostage issue of Avengers was, in, was obviously inspired by the current novel, The Siege, in which an army holds Manhattan hostage. And the ransom was to be New Jersey. Nonfiction can get us comic writers type started too. I mentioned newspapers earlier. Amazing Adventures number five features my first attempt to chronicle the ex- the, expo- the exploits of the liberated lady 
the Black Widow. The idea of a bloody bank robbery featured therein occurred because there was, for several days this past fall, a serious blood shortage in New York City. The papers played it up. Mayor Lindsay rolled up his symbolic sleeves, and I had a mildly offbeat comic book plot. No pretense of significance, social or otherwise, just something to stop the mad scientists from bumping into each other. One of the reasons I'm reading you this, not only is it that a fanzine had a dedicated column by Roy Thomas, and I'm, I'm telling you this as I'm turning the page, is Roy is sharing with you his his inspirations. Again, we are all inspired. I've talked to you many times how Chris Claremont would walk out of Alien by Ridley Scott in 1979, and boom, you know, nine months later in X-Men, Kitty Pride is battling, you know, an alien very rem- reminiscent of the one that Chris, you know, beheld in Alien, that, that there are aspects of Days of Future Past from Twilight Zone, from the movie The Warriors uh, that had come out a year prior. And, and again, as a kid, I could see. And, and, and again, if you don't see James Cameron and Terminator or influence on, on your boy here, and, and what I did was so much of the visual depiction of Cable, obviously I was inspired by that stuff. Uh, in addition to $6 million man, as James Cameron was inspired by the $6 million man doing Terminator. See how it all works around? Well, I'm going to wrap this up by uh, reading the rest of this from Roy, because I think this is incredibly interesting, him citing influences from both literary and, 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 and now newspaper articles that inspired his storytelling. He says, in other cases, the reading of nonfiction has been done as research. After I've decided on a general theme, first came the idea to do an American Indian superhero with a wolf headdress. Then came the reading of the New Indians and a work on the Navajos. So this is all setting the stage for what what was this character called Red Wolf, who I loved as a kid. Oh, I loved, loved Red Wolf. Um, then came the, eighth, uh, the 80th issue of The Avengers. Some reading on pollution, sometime before there was an ecological bandwagon to hop onto, led to some of the current Submariner issues. I'm really quite proud that comic writers were ahead of their time on that one, with Archie Goodwin plotting the Iron Man Submariner crossover at the same time as I wrote about Namor lecturing the United Nations, while Denny O'Neill and Steve Skeets were similarly narrating, uh, similarly motivated at National. As for the movies, merely to get into this area unleashes a whole Pandora's box of inspirations, probably more than any other source for myself personally, for other comic writers, and for other artists as well. Most of us in the field grew up watching serial movies for every book that we read. Cinematically oriented writer artists like Kurtzman and Steranko are merely the most obvious petals of this rose because being both writers and artists, they can more fully control their final product than the rest of us. And of course, because their commitment to cinema seems to verge on the total, probably every story I've ever plotted and scripted has owed some debt to a movie, be it a line of dialogue that I steal or paraphrase or a general concept. The current Western series, The Renegades, in Western Gunfighters, which I conceived several years ago, was a combination of the professionals and the man from the Alamo. The movie version of Modesty Blaze has in, uh, the movie version of Modesty Blaze has influenced my upcoming Black Black Widow material, and sci-fi films from King Kong through Forbidden Planet through The Thing are owed even more the apparent mountain of debt. Even a film or two that I've never seen but only read about, such as The Gollum, has influenced as witnessed by a recent Hulk issue. Never mind that these influences don't always show or may not result in a minor classic every time. The fact is, 
They are there. To this list, I should probably add, as I run out of time and room, a um, final major source of ideas, which is other people. A couple of years of living with my childhood idol, Bill Everett, uh, who is uh, an incredible artist, illustrator, best known for Submariner, resulted in many things. Not a few of them arguments, but out of this time came a determination to do a Peter Pan and show Betty Dean as a middle-aged woman in contrast with the forever young Namor and an ending which seemed to have some impact. Neil Adams and I once wanted to do that kind of vampire tale we could do, and out of that came a well-received Sauron in the X-Men who would have been a dead ringer for Man Bat a year earlier if we hadn't chickened out. And perhaps the most omnipresent of influences is my wife, Jeannie. And while not a comics fan before we were married, now serves as an excellent sounding board for my ideas and who more than occasionally offers some of her own. The Valkyrie in Avengers number 83 wasn't pretty and blonde for nothing. Roy Thomas. I shared that with you because this is a guy who was at the top of his form. Roy was is one of the best writers in the history of the field. Uh, I, I really believe he is the precursor to everything that Chris Claremont did. Chris Claremont was incredibly influenced by the work of Roy Thomas, his work on the Avengers, the way that he would write the solo characters, the team books, X-Men, Avengers, Thor. Uh, Roy, again, the Conan uh, work is just exceptional. He's extremely accomplished. He went to DC when I was a kid, did All-Star Squadron, uh, did, did, did a, a barbarian book for them called Arak, A-R-A-K, if, 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 uh, if I am correct in that recollection. Super talented, but but at this point, uh, a figurehead at Marvel Comics, and I, th- I found this this column in Marvel Mania to be extremely enlightening. Thought I would share it with you. There he is telling you books, newspaper articles. You know, my Black Widow is based on Modesty Blaze. He says, you know, this story influenced this. Uh, setting out to make a vampire tale, we created Sauron, who is kind of a psychic vampire. So. Very cool stuff. Wanted to share this with you. Marvel Mania Magazine is a great snapshot of how fandom used to interact and consume on the side. The the comics and the pop culture, they were the podcasts. Marvel Mania was the podcast of its time. Uh, It goes on. It has, again, lots of art, clippings, cartoons, um, interviews. Uh, It it, it has an entire, like, multi-page dissertation on Odin. Yes, Odin. And there's a... a, uh, a funny uh, one-pager called Doom's Dispatch written as if Do- Dr. Doom was talking to all of us. I mean, there is some funny, funny stuff. Uh, some comic reviews in the back. Again, like I mentioned, lots of, um, lots of letters to the editors. But the gem, uh, I mean, if you're into Odin and you want a history of Odin, this, this is your magazine, Marvel Mania number five. But that Roy Thomas column I thought was great. Wanted to share it with you and, uh, and, and share with you, again, a snapshot of how uh, fandom was interacting and how comics were being reflected in fandom during that time. Marvel Mania Magazine, this particular issue is from 1970. Again, I said it was when Conan was launching, 1970. So a real, again, comics were were turning, they were changing. We are entering the Bronze Age of comics during this period. So cool snapshot and and, and thought I'd share that with you. So, So on the docket, storytellers, Appreciate your storytellers. Remember the storytellers. You know, give storytellers love. And then a snapshot of Marvel Mania uh, fandom in 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 early the, the early days of of comic books of the modern 
you know, Marvel fandom, the birth of the Marvel, the modern Marvel fandom. And, uh, and now we are going to segue into the final segment where we wrap up the, the discussion that we started last week about the fall of X. So again, in 2019, Marvel Comics drastically changes uh, the X-Men mythology and the X-Men lore. And, and they do so by pivoting away the, the X-Men kind of serve notice, the mutant, mutants serve notice to all nations, to some of Marvel's most uh, powerful and respected uh, authorities, figures like the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, and they put them on notice. We're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to be persecuted. And, and to quote Magneto and kind of the theme, you have new gods now. And I gave you the context of how rich that new God statement is given, given kind of all that was going on with, with DC comics and Jonathan Hickman attempting to work out a situation where he would go and not only write the Legion of superheroes, but do new gods and do the green lantern course. So that, 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 those specific story elements are not mine to share here now or ever until it becomes public somewhere. Uh, and then we can talk about it. But for now that was going on behind the scenes circa 2017. Marvel retains Jonathan Hickman. They do this uh, reboot of the X-Men, which finds them all going to Krakoa and there's a resurrection protocols. So the mutants, you know, during this period, this first year, it's like, wait, so mutants can't die. They keep being resurrected. There was five specific mutants uh, that, that each contributed to this new process upon which you could be resurrected as a mutant. Very complicated stuff. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty because as I said, it really wasn't for me. This wasn't my X-Men. Now, there have been other eras. The Outback era, for instance, which is really uh, the earliest. I mean, Mark Silvestri had only just arrived on X-Men doing his like stunning, beautiful artwork. And uh, Chris Claremont had pivoted the team to Australia, where they operated in the Outback among indigenous people. If memory serves, there was an aborigine uh, figure who could teleport teleport them to wherever they wanted to be but this is post genosha and uh which which had kind of attacked the x-men and and uh it, it really introduced a new outlaw status and outlaw uh outlook for the team where they were kind of hidden away a- across the globe and and were able to pop in via teleportation to all manner of different situations whether it was the savage land manhattan they took part in all the big crossovers, Inferno. So there have been absolute sea changes uh, in the X-Men before. There have been ages that, 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 that things changed, that, that, that things, you know, there was the, the blue and the gold team. That was a different, you know, uh, approach. But this was a really, a different view for the team. They, they, they took a different view towards who they were and and who everyone else in the Marvel comics were. And that's fine. That played out. I decided to not pursue it heavily. It just wasn't for me. There are people who love this stuff. This will always have a giant loyal cult following and they're very vocal and they are, um, you know, very adamant about their love for this period, which is great. And, and, and it feels as if though, that it is pivoting away. One of the things that happened during this time was the uh, the Hellfire Gala. Now, I'm getting back to soap operas in General Hospital. It was in the late 90s. Now, I've told you, I watched General Hospital with my mom and my sister every summer when I was a kid. And in, and in summer of 1980, 
And Rick Springfield himself was talking about this on a, because Rick Springfield, before you knew him as Jesse's Girl, which was his fourth album, by the way, but, but, but it had been a while since he had made music. But he just had that perfect storm when Jesse's Girl and his Working Class Dog album blew up in the 80s and, and went to number one. He was also on the hottest soap opera on television. I mean, we are talking 10 million viewers. Like, like this General Hospital, 2 o'clock on Channel 7, East Coast, West Coast, Central, whatever, was the hottest show the summer of 1980. Luke and Laura on the run, you know, from the good guys, the bad guys. Uh, it, it, their, their love story and the emergence of Luke Spencer as kind of the face of General Hospital. And, and Rick Springfield played this, this uh, handsome, you know, surgeon, Dr. Dr. Noah Drake. General Hospital and its soap opera storytelling. A year later, they would battle uh, a character named Cassidyne. Last name was Cassidyne. The interesting part of the of the whole sci-fi of all this is is that character was Baltar on the Battlestar Galactica television show. He was the lead bad guy on Battlestar Galactica before it got canceled. So now he is the lead bad guy on General Hospital, and he has a he has an ice gun pointed towards Port Charles. And the whole thing the next summer was that Port. That, that the entirety of Port Charles, where everyone in General Hospital lives, was snowing and under blizzard conditions the entire summer. And then there was different agents, uh, Scorpio, Anna Devane, all these different characters that were deployed to the island where Cassidyne had this sci-tech and, and was terrorizing them. And they had to take him out. And of course, Luke and Laura were part of that as well. Soap operas became science fiction. You know, later on, Another giant soap called Days of Our Lives. There was vampires. There was the, you know, there was the supernatural, the occult, all that stuff. I mean, it was on. Soap opera and storytelling and cliffhangers and double identities and resurrections. That is absolutely their forte. But in the late 90s, they introduced a thing called the Nurse's Ball on General Hospital. And it has grown into a one week event every year, generally in the spring. And they throw this thing called the nurse's ball where the characters all get together. They have a gala. They dress up. They dress up in these fancy gowns. The men are in these tuxedos and these great suits. The women are all in these, you know, uh, extremely, you know, expensive and, 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 and form-fitting gowns. And it's just this giant fashion show. And everyone gets to glam out and glitz out. And then the characters get to perform and do, and, and do uh, you know, acting and, and dancing and, and, and singing numbers. And it's all to benefit the nurses and raise money for all these great causes. The nurses' ball became like synonymous with General Hospital. Again, every spring, nurses' ball, they, they, they give you commercials. Don't miss the nurses' ball. What will happen on the nurses' ball? Who will be killed this, this year, during this year's nurses' ball? The gala, the gala, and the outfits and the costumes. And it was like, you know, their version of an award show. So during this part, this, this, this time on Krakoa, they did this this Hellfire Club Gala, the Hellfire Gala, and all of your X-Men characters, they would have different artists come in. I, I, think, I think if memory serves correctly, uh, one or two artists would do dedicated like fashion design, giving Storm or Jean Grey their, their gowns, uh, out, outfitting you know, the suits and the costumes of like uh, Cyclops, whomever was attending, okay? And then they had this gala, and I flipped through the first two. But the X-Men as kind of uh, 
high fashion just wasn't just was was another just disconnect for me. I just didn't connect to it. The reason I'm telling you is the latest Hellfire Gala. It Trojan horse. It, it Trojan horsed the whole thing. They, they, it was a sneak attack on two levels. The gala itself is attacked, and this is this is the kickoff of Fall of X. And the mutants are massacred in the most violent manner that they have been massacred in in maybe three decades since the original Fall of the Mutants, which which was kind of the precursor in, in, in spirit to this. I asked my re- the reason I'm telling you this. Is I asked my retailers. I, I had heard the buzz. I knew it was coming post San Diego. I called my retailers. I asked them if they could retain me a copy. One guy on a Monday said, Rob, I will have one copy for you. Two others said, Rob, I didn't order that. The galas don't move for me. And when I said, why don't they move for you? He goes, yeah, the, the X-Men, there's a, there's a segment of the X-Men fans that just aren't into the fashion show stuff. And so I believe Marvel knowing this, knowing this, and, and, and it's a double-sized issue and it's, and it's generally an extra expense. Uh, I think that knowing this, they said, we know that some of these retailers are not going to go all in on this and we are going to load it, Trojan horse it with events that they don't see. We're going to do the normal, that there's going to be a gala. They even had a live Hellfire Gala. Uh, and I know because some of those beautiful uh, faces and, and people that I met for Make-A-Wish were um, able to attend and dress like the X-Men. I was, I was not at the actual gala event that was on a, that was, you know, sponsored by Disney and Marvel. I mean, it was official, and it, it, which is why it looked so good. I saw clips of it, and it looked really, like, expensive, and, and, uh, and that they went all out. But again, these sweet Make-A-Wish uh, kids w- w- were able to attend, and, and they just looked like they were, they were having the best, best time. But again, it was kind of a fashion show of the mutants, and you saw all the different outfits that they were all wearing, the custom design, you know, labels. And in the past, in the Hellfire Gala, issues that they have celebrities walking through they've, they've been able to draw in actual uh real life celebrities public figures that have walked through so it's, it's, it's fun but it's certainly not going back to again the heyday of the x-men and one more time i'm going to tell you look the x-men is my favorite concept the x-men is my favorite comic book the x-men have my favorite characters there is a reason why i was so engaged and 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 want wanted to be part of the x-men lore as much as i did there is no um I have more X-Men original art than anything in my collection. I have, uh, I mean, like I have, I have the equivalent of entire issues worth of pages of my favorite runs. I, to say that I am all in on the X-Men is to undersell my love of the X-Men. But for this, I was just disconnected, but it's comic books. Things come in, things go out, different eras, you know, move in, they move out, uh, a new, a new outlook, a new take <clears throat> with fall of X. They are, and, and the guy who said Rob, Rob, fall means autumn. No, it doesn't. Uh, let, let me correct you here on, on the podcast. No, that is, that is not correct. The, the contents inside this Hellfire Gala were so gory and were so surprising and were so out of left field. It created that all important buzz and you cannot substitute buzz because retailers like, eh, I'm not, I'm not doing this, uh. I'm not doing this Hellfire Gala in the same numbers that I used to. And then, oh my gosh, I'm caught short. Everybody wants the Hellfire Gala because that's what happened a couple weeks back. Everybody wanted this thing because it signals that they are shifting gears. And some have said, Rob, you're wrong. They're not leaving the, the age of Krakoa behind. Let me tell you, the advertisement says, just because Krakoa fell, you know, the X-Men never will. 
is 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 the tag. And I've shared it on my social media. It's, it's what Marvel was putting out themselves. And then in the last page of the Hellfire Gala, and again, I'm trying not to be too spoilerific. It's just a massacre occurs. They are they are having this nurse's ball, quote unquote, event, and then they are assaulted. It's a sneak attack. They are betrayed. There's a Judas uh, that many are maimed and killed. And at the end, Xavier is got his knees down on the beach as the tide rolls in. And he's just aghast at the events of this of this story. And he says, Avenger. Uh, <laughs> he says, Krakoa will be avenged. Or maybe it's Avenge Krakoa. One of the two. Why are you avenging Krakoa? Because now it is the site of this giant massacre. I believe they are pivoting away from this. And we are in the end game of this Krakoan age, which is probably going to take a year to play out. Marvel says summer of 2024. Well, Summer could be July, could be August. It could the last reboot. The last reboot happened in August. House of X, Power of Ten happened in August of 2019. So, if that occurs and we wrap it up and there's a new reboot, that'd be a, a solid five years of this age of this era. But the whole reason we discussed this was it was such a sea change from how the mutants saw themselves. Do I believe personally that Professor X has been acting out of character in regards to the X that I grew up with? I do. I, I, I do not relate to the viewpoint that he has adopted. Now, I have story ideas. I, I know how I think this should be wrapped up, but that's not for me to share here. And it's certainly not me formally pitching. I have way too much work to do on myself and I'm a fan and I will be on board to at least taste as I did, as I tasted when they pivoted towards this Krakoan age. But for those of you also who thought, and I think I mentioned at the end of last time, when I went and revisited after two years at the halfway point, given that it's been four years now. I saw that Storm and possibly with the assistance of Magneto, they were terraforming a planet uh, for the X-Men to live on. And I was like, they're going to have a planet? Like, again, I was just more disconnected. This is not the X-Men that had my heart and my soul and and, and I've had this strong connection with. I, I see Game of Thrones in the last four years. I see lots of big, giant swings to alter the X-Men and, and, and change the concept. To me, the concept was not broken. It didn't need changing. Uh, it has always worked as the mission statement, hunted and feared by those they've sworn to protect. Boom, that is as powerful a sentence as you were going to find for any of the uh, superhero concepts that have been published throughout the history of comic books. It is so powerful. Hunted and feared by the, those they've sworn to protect. Incredible, incredible. That's all you need. That's all you need to go on. I am rooting for a return to that, to that moniker, to that mission statement. But certainly, this has been an era that has entertained and perhaps brought in a different audience that maybe the X-Men didn't have prior, previously. But uh, Avenge Krakoa, Krakoa must be avenged, speaks to, you know, that things are changing, things have fallen. It's called Fall of X, not <laughs> not Autumn of X. Anyway, uh, so so look, I'm looking forward to it. The reason I brought it up is I'm just reacting to the marketing and kind of like we can talk about that this era is now going to be kind of in, encapsulated. If it goes to 2024, 14, then it's, I'm, I'm sorry, 2024, then it's five years, 2019, 2024. If it ends before then, it'll be four years, four and a half years. We are right in the four-year mark right now. So it, it feels like it's going five. So I'm excited to what 
comes next. Remember, Cable, Domino, Strife, Shatterstar, Grizzly, Good God, Garrison Kane. I mean, I, I have contributed to the lore, to, to, to the, you know, to the X-Men mythology. I love these characters. I am excited for what's to come next. And that is why we were discussing Fall of X and hats off to Marvel. The Hellfire Gala, the third time around, was truly the Trojan horse uh, in terms of content and conceptually and all the great artists who contributed to the storytelling. Uh, and also it was a Trojan horse. Retailers didn't see it coming. They thought another kind of X-Men fashion event. Whoa, so bloody. Um, certain characters are separated. Their they're, they're entrails are what is between them. Between them, so very exciting. Very excited to uh, to see what happens with the X Men next, and and I for one will be there to sample it and go along for the ride. Because like I said, love these characters, love l- love this world, and and am truly a fan of the of the original mission statement, which is in my opinion why X Men has gone the distance and stood out and been so popular over time. One last aspect I did want to touch on. There were fans from the beginning who were like, this will be Marvel's new approach to the X-Men cinematically. To which I say, I I would hedge my bets. Um, mutants that rule over mankind. And and uh, and look, that's not the first time that theme, the X-Men and the Avengers have rubbed up against each other multiple times. The first time in a miniseries illustrated by the great Mark Silvestri, whose work was so good, it got him hired to do the X-Men Monthly. Claremont was like, I got to have this guy. Again, Claremont loved the pretty artist, would would just crave and covet. And because he had the best-selling comic, he'd get them. But Avengers and X-Men have been butting heads forever. But giving the X-Men a planet and, and this interdimensional, I, I believe that the school, the hidden among us, walking among us in the shadows, uh, it is is the winning play. It's always been the winning play. The Game of Thrones, this kingdoms, different houses, uh, fiefdoms. I'm not sure that that is the way that you would introduce the X-Men. But look, get, here's the great part. If I'm wrong about any of this, we'll be discussing it on the podcast. That's why the podcast exists. We'll be back and talk it over here. But yeah, cinematically, do I believe that is going to be the X-Men that is presented? I do I do not. Um, and, 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 you know, put me to the test. And circle back around and 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 see how it goes. Uh, but that that is the one other aspect I kind of alluded to that I need to tie it up in a bow before we exit. So that is literally we got. I, I really wanted to just celebrate the storytellers and implore you to do the same. Talk about early days of fandom with Marvel Mania, and then wrap this up on 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 Fall of X, and we've done it. Mission accomplished. I I am so. Man, we did it. I, I did. I did not really believe that we could sneak it in. And I have one more uh, segment to to punch in in this episode. As 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 Rob recommends returns. Rob recommends returns. And and you're like, what 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 are you recommending to us, Rob? What what crap? What what, what are you rec- rec- recommending? Okay, listen, listen. This is the summer. I'm not here to debate whether you like Dial of Destiny. Look, bottom line, Indiana Jones, the original trilogy is one of the greatest uh, stories, characters, uh, cinematic achievements. Those, those three movies are fantastic. Do not undersell Temple of Doom. Watched it again recently. So good. Watched it again early, early summer before Dial of Destiny. Marvel did an Indiana Jones comic. They did an Indiana Jones comic. John Byrne, no less, I've told you, 
wrote and penciled the original issues. The, the first two issues with, with Terry Austin. They, re, they reunited the X-Men team, no less. We'll check this out. Indiana Jones, issue number six. So, so you got John Byrne kicked off the first two. Indiana Jones, what a kick-ass cover I'm looking, looking at. Also done, also done by the interior team. The storytellers provided the covers. Howard Chaikin, who you've heard me praise in, uh, for all his incredible work. There's a dedicated Howard Chaikin Chaken, uh, American Flag episode, how he kind of really influenced comics, influenced Watchmen, influenced Dark Knight. Howard was ahead of the curve. Indiana Jones, he did a couple issues, but this one, this issue six, Club Nightmare, standalone a- a- issue. I don't want to tell you too much, but you are going to gawk and you are going to be amazed. Howard Shaken, uh, you can hear me flipping through it. I'm holding it. Works from a plot and script from, from by David Michelini, who many of you know from his incredible Spider-Man run and, and his Iron Man run. Howard Shaken provides the layouts, the, the breakdowns, the pencil breakdowns, and no less than Terry Austin inks the whole thing. The cover is fantastic. It, it has uh, Indiana Jones jumping from one boat to the next but this is a standalone, one single issue, and some of the most brilliant, beautiful, gorgeous art you are ever going to lay eyes on. Uh, Howard Shaken and Terry Austin are like peanut butter and chocolate. And let me tell you something. Terry Austin, at this point in his career, could walk into any, any editor and say, I want to ink that. Let me see those. Let me ink that. He, that's the kind of power he had. He was the, the sheen, the finish, the embellishment, the final lines that he put on a comic would bump any sales. So when he walks in and goes, hey, give me that Howard Chaykin job. Let me do that. Yeah, I'll do all of it. It is a standalone Indiana Jones adventure. Uh, <clears throat> just incredibly, incredibly exciting. It's called Club Nightmare. And it uh, obviously involves Indy and, and, and it involves some, some criminal types. It's got Indy on horseback. It's got Indy in the city. It has Indiana Jones. Uh, in the forest, it has Indiana Jones on the river uh, in a boat, jumping from boat to boat. But the action, the adventures, the faces, uh, Rob recommends this comic just for an incredible artistic escape. It's beautiful. It is a gorgeous book. You may never have heard of this book before or this particular issue, or maybe you have it in your collection and you're going to run and go get it and go, is it as good as he says it is? It's better. Howard Chaikin. Uh, so, so I'm recommending a standalone Indiana Jones, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, published by Marvel Comics. Issue number six, 1983. Story by David Michelini. Layouts, breakdowns by Howard Chaikin. Finished inks, beautiful art by Terry Austin. Now, I'm going to tell you, it, the, the, the colors are fantastic too. This is that, that amazing just uh, four-color process. But Bob Sharon, bringing it. Jim Shooter is the EIC. Marvel was never better. Indiana Jones, number six. Just a great, again, Indy on horseback, Indy in the city, Indy on boats, on a river, jumping boat to boat. The cover is spectacular. The art is gorgeous. Beautiful people. Great fashion. Great, you know, roaring 20s, 30s uh, uh, style. Um, Just got to get it. Rob recommends Marvel's Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number six. Do not miss out on this gem. You guys are always so good to me and you leave these great reviews for me and, and, I, and I've told you and, and will continue to tell you that these are so important to help, help helping us stand out on the platform. Our, our, our 
audience continues to expand and grow. And I am so grateful. I am so thankful to you and, and, and all that you do in spreading the word and, and sharing this with your friends and on social media. And you guys write these reviews for me. And I'm so thankful and grateful. And I am going to read a review uh, today that is really generous and kind. And, and it's from a gentleman named Guillermo Carlos 132. Okay. We, I think we've heard from Guillermo Carlos 132 before, but he, uh, he, he left this really um, lovely message about the show. And I just want to share it with you. It says amazing podcast. He gives us five stars again. Thank you so much. It says Rob, amazing podcast as always. Thank you for sharing about your dinner with all of the legends at San Diego. I love listening to your podcast each and every week. I wanted to write this review specifically to thank you for the shout out to make a wish. What an amazing organization. My son, Wynn, who you have met, his make a wish has come up. He's working with his consultant to figure out what he would like to do. The pro the program is incredible and how they treat the kids is fantastic. Thank you for being part of that great organization and for the time that you've dedicated to sharing about it on the podcast today. As always, keep up the great work and let the Bronco buck. Longtime listeners will understand what let the Bronco buck means. He says, uh, best stock broker bill. So he has two handles, Guillermo Carlos and Stockbroker Bill. Thank you. Thank you, Guillermo. Uh, Carlos, Guillermo, Guillermo, Carlos, Stockbroker Bill. Look, I, I've said it before. Uh, now seven years, seven, eight years working with Make-A-Wish, they are an outstanding organization. If, if you want to know that your donations are, are going to work, like I said, what, how they treat these families. And I mean, again, it, sometimes families are six, five, uh, uh, seven they bring them out, they take them to San Diego, they take them to the zoo, they take them to SeaWorld. Uh, they get to go to these great events like they did this last year with the Hellfire Gala. They, they, they get giant swag. I mean, and, and the bottom line is it, it distracts uh, these kids from the hardship that they've been under. And anyway, just, just letting you know firsthand, uh, I, I've been a part of it. I've seen it. I just want to thank you all so much for the, uh, for 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 donating uh to make a wish and thank you for mentioning that and thank you for this wonderful uh review you guys each and every episode i share these they mean the world to me i i your support is is everything and has really kept this show going as i continue to wonder uh like what am i doing here why am i talking into this microphone so again my gratitude to you you know what we're gonna wrap this up really quick i'm just gonna tell you where you can reach me on social media I'm on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, the whole name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I I have one of those uh, blue checks that says it's really me and not the imposter, Rob Liefeld's, the imposter. (laughs) No, so so, so I am R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld. I love reading your mentions, your replies, all the discussions we have. Thank you so much for participating. It's just such a good time. Uh, to, to, to go back and forth on Twitter. Trust me, so many of the conversations are, are still going on. I mean, Twitter is the place where, where the exchanges are happening. So, so follow me on Twitter. On Instagram, my, my photo diary, uh, I'm Rob Liefeld, just R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Follow me. Uh, you, you'll see what I'm eating, what I'm drawing, who I'm hanging with, my family, my friends, uh, the stuff I'm doing. I, I really do love the visual component. That is Instagram. If you would follow me over there, that'd be great. Love to talk to you. 
read your messages, your comments. Thank you for being so generous and so kind. Instagram really is the nice, nicest of all of the of the of the social media platforms, in my opinion. So Rob Liefeld on Instagram, Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I have a Facebook group. Yes, we are still doing groups on Facebook. Great, great bunch of everybody over there. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Okay, that's the name of our group. I would love to have you join us. So many of the conversations that we have here continue over there. We're sharing artwork. We have art contests, um, talking about different stuff that we love in comics, collections. Join us, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you on through. We are the administrators. Uh, place is just exploding. Excited to have you on board. Uh, look us up. Join in on all of the different uh, conversations that we're having over there. I am headed to CGC soon, just to give you an update. End of the summer to sign the thousands of books that you have sent in. So that is going to happen. Of course, we'll talk about it. We'll probably broadcast from there. So so look forward to that coming soon. Uh, you know, as always, I want you you to feel supported and 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 to hear a voice of uh, encouragement, your spiritual, emotional, your physical, and your mental well-being is tremendously important. And we are rooting for you. And obviously, I'm going to always tell you to read a good comic book and escape uh, and, and, and find uh, the, the distraction in, in between those, uh, those two staples that, that so many of our comics come, out through, uh, come, come, come through. And I do it on a recliner. I do it on a beanbag. I've, I've taken now <laughs> to... to opening my garage i I have my old man moment i opened my garage on a sunday afternoon the sun is setting and i had the folding chair and 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 grabbed a couple comics and just looked out on the neighborhood and had just a really good old man time but it was a distraction it was great it was some escapism uh do do it over a great meal with your friends with your loved ones go out uh enjoy stretch your legs get out take a walk um, get away from the grind. It is so necessary. It needs to be something you commit to, to just, uh, just you know, reboot, reset. I do it all the time. I recommend it. Uh, mine include comics and junk food. I'm not sure what yours includes, but that 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 is my hope for you that you can step off of this uh, grinding treadmill and find some time time for yourself to just get inspired by art, by music, by 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 movies, by by streaming, by comic books, novels, books. So uh, rooting for you, fist bump, boom, right through the mic, m- microphone. Uh, hope that you are doing uh, well and you will continue to do well. And and uh, just if, if you're going through some stuff, we're rooting for you, all of us together. Hey, please uh, come back and see me. Come back and see me. I'm going to be right here. And, uh, and, 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 and so I look forward to seeing you because we will most certainly absolutely inevitably talk again real soon